Good thing I love this theme song. Welcome to the Eat, Slay, Live podcast. And we are the lock executioners. We're going to be eating lightning and talking thunder and power bombing you right in the ear holes today. We got a true professional on here today, Ross. You see this? He guy comes in like doesn't put his doesn't want to wear doesn't want doesn't want to wear the headphones. Do you know what I'm saying? Wants to keep his uh, his his Smokey the Bandit hat on. If I All could right? pull off that hat, I would not take it off. <laughs> you know, real quick about the hat. You know how we have uh, have uh, our buddy Bob from Chicago who does sends us a question every week. One of his one of his questions this week was uh, for Hugh was Do you and Todd share the same hat collection? Now that was a compliment to me, but I don't think it was a compliment to do you. Ever, do you ever actually wear the uh, fedora rims, or you just I, stick I, to the baseball? No, I'm a fedora guy. Right. I'm a, I, I don't have the round ones like you do. Do you know what I'm saying? Mine's more like yeah. the the Rocky Balboa type yeah, fedoras, like starter fedoras. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't. We didn't really explain the rules to you, but I'll do the jokes on here, okay? <laughs> yeah, it, true professional on here. One thing, Ross, I want to start with. I have a little announcement to make. Um, and it just gonna, it's going to kind of tie in with, with Hugh and we'll get to that later. But so pride fitness is starting a special needs circuit here. Um, I sit on a board at Beverly farms and so I've kind of partnered up with them and February 25th, we're going to do uh, Beverly farms are going to bring a bunch of participants. We're going to do like one of our regular circuits, but it's going to be for special needs, uh, people. Uh, it's going to be called the savagely, uh, I'm sorry, the kindly savage circuit. We have a great name. Yes, we have a. Who uh, came up with that? I did. Wow. Well, we, I do that. Remember, I do that. Uh, Props to you. Yeah, thanks. And then we're gonna have. I have Megan Cunningham uh, working on our design, who's also who's actually a listener to the this show, Hugh, um, making design. It's gonna be like a superhero type, like with a Superman, but the S, the S and Savage will be there with like a lightning bolt type thing. Nice. So it's gonna be. We're gonna make it like a. Uh, not we're gonna call it a special powers circuit rather than like a special need. So you'll you'll see why I'm I'm making that announcement on here today because uh, it kind of ties in with Hugh's story. But um, anyway, how you doing, Ross? Man, I'm good. I just rambled on for like five minutes. That, that was that was it was well deserved though. That was good. Yeah, I, dude. I, this is something Breaking news to me. You haven't you haven't said anything. To this me. is something it. I've been awesome. wanting to do since before COVID. Uh, it's been on my heart and just tugging on my heart to do this i think it's just sort of a calling that i have and i've been kind of dragging my feet i picked a date put it in the fit club on pride lots of volunteers everybody's excited about it i just had a meeting on at beverly farms monday and so we're ready to roll february 25th is the start date for it so we're looking for sponsors out there too because every kid's going to get a free t-shirt so we're looking for sponsors i will be a sponsor i like look at that ross write that down (laughs) so anyway uh Today we got on the show. Now you and Hugh have never met, right? Nope. No first. You know what's yep. funny is he comes in and you know he has a he has a, a, a we'll call it a restaurant, a coffee shop, and you are in the food. We're both in the food business, and and he, you introduce yourselves, and he goes, "Do you hate your life?" <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, Hugh, welcome to the show. Man, I could not be happier. Well, you boys, today. I, I think you're lying because first of all, you come in and go, anybody listen to this thing? I'm not. That, that have, was the first thing you said. Well, I have told so many people about <laughs> this place and you. Like, uh, there's some like Renaissance guys in this town 
So I'm so glad you've been doing this. People need to know what you guys are doing. Yeah, and it's, you know, we're trying to have leaders in the community and things like that. We couldn't find any today, so we brought you in. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I need are to these get... like on the back wall? These are jokes you like do on everybody? <laughs> <laughs> they are. It is the same old material, I can promise you. I got my post commons, my post. This is a red. This is, would you call this a retro? Yeah, that was first generation, bro. That I, was I like, so. I, in fact, I don't have that one anymore. Mm -hmm. I usually keep most of them and I, I yeah. do the I'll same. buy that from you. I do the same thing. <laughs> I, have, I don't I have get the, rid of any of them. I, mean, I have a black T-shirt one too that's we, just as old. Me, Brickhouse and Pride both copied that uh, that shirt, the hoodie type, the yeah. color, yeah. yeah, the color. Well, so. well done. I try to set trends wherever we go. Yeah, but then you come in wearing a Yellowstone shirt, so that's <laughs> it's a great show. <laughs> you know what? Do you? That's really all I have left in life. It, it's got like a Yellowstone. Get, you're about to get Todd's breakdown of shows real quick. <laughs> <laughs> and how they progress. Here we go, Todd. Go ahead. Okay, ready, Ross? Here, like Yellowstone, it's, it's like a lot of the shows. It started out amazing. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Amazing. And I think they have this great uh, this great idea, but then I feel like they've just lost their direction. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I will agree. The first the first set of those was like game changers. Yeah. Now it's, it's like, oh, Dollar General's coming in. They're gonna take they're gonna take the land away from Yellowstone. What's yeah. he gonna do? I and know, but still, like my wife loves to watch like those. Uh, yachting shows where like you've got some dysfunctional yacht crew, so anything is better than what she watches. So I still, <laughs> I'll say, babe, is tonight Yellowstone, and I, just, I still get excited. I don't, I don't think Todd realizes how hard it is to write a TV show. Like you have this really good idea, right. and you know it's probably two seasons long or something. And then Paramount comes to you and say, hey, here's it will another, give you another 50 mil, yeah. 50 well, trillion. I, I, yeah, keep we'll it going. Up. And now this dude's like, all right, I'll yeah. keep it going. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, that's why Game of Thrones was so good. It was based on books. Absolutely. So they had a direction until they, they got didn't. to where the books ended and then it just sucked ass after had a that. Direction. So, you know, yes. Yeah. So that's 1923 is better than Yellowstone, I think. I know. It is. That's really They're all good. good. Yeah. In fact, that one dude's writing all of those yeah, simultaneously. Sheridan Taylor. Taylor. Yeah, who was, he was like some Sheridan. rodeo dude, and then he just starts yeah. writing. What, what a great idea to just like keep building. Like, you know, he was like, 1923, 1883. Yeah. I mean, sometimes we're going to have 1712 at some point, and you know? That's that and going back to Game of Thrones. They have an opportunity to do that because you could take that show all kinds of places. You know that, um, what's... House of Dragons. House of, I love yeah. that. Yeah, I, I like love it that too. Show. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, those spinoffs are a great idea. It really is. Well, I think we've already got uh, kind of introduced our guest. Our guest today is uh, Hugh Halter. Hugh is an author. You've written three books, four books. This is your fourth book. I think I got twelve. Twelve. Okay. You've written twelve. Good research. I was. Bro. <laughs> you got one third of them. <laughs> Well, I was only talking about the good ones. But, yeah, we'll just say, yeah, there's there's really only four <laughs> decent ones out of that. He's an author. He's a, we, we talked about it. He's a business owner. He's a pastor. He's a speaker. He speaks all around the world. Uh, he's my friend. And welcome to the show, bud. I'm happy to be here. And we're, you can hear it in my voice. I, I can, yes. Um, we're, we're, we're just going to start out how we start everybody. I kind of know your story, but... Uh, all our listeners, all millions of our listeners yeah. would like to hear it. So so where are you from? Where were you born? Where were you raised? Portland, Oregon. Portland, yeah, Oregon. West Coast guy. College up in Tacoma, Seattle area. And then back to Portland. A few years of seminary, got kicked out. And then uh, started a church out in Portland. Did some other stuff. Was a house painter most of those years as my actual gig. 
Then we moved out to Denver in 2002. And uh, same deal. Um, we'll probably get you got kicked r- out of there. No, oh, no, oh. actually, man, that was a great. That was a, that was an awesome fourteen years, and then we ended up here in Alton, well, Illinois. That was a great show. Thanks yep. for coming in, Hugh. Um, maybe we'll have you come on again sometime when you write your thirteenth book. Okay. <laughs> Let's go back a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get, give me some specific questions. We're, we're going to rewind a little bit. So, uh, growing up in, in Portland, so what? What did your parents do? Uh, my dad was an educator. Okay, worked for the state board of education. My mother was a mom. And nineteen um, eighties, I think a recession hit, and uh, my dad lost his job. Was out of work for twelve years. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, so we lost everything out in the suburbs of Portland, Oregon. Parents divorced. Uh, had an older sister. Had severe schizophrenia in and out of state mental hospitals. So as a sophomore in high school, I went to work full time to try to stem the tide, help out type of thing. So when, when you know, I, I reached out to some people, like you, you mentioned my research, and I did do some research. I reached out to some people, and I got this quote from you, which kind of ties into what you say. I said, this man is a hustler and works harder than anyone I've ever known, and it's always been to take care of his family and other people. He started working from a really young age to support to help support his family through some hard seasons. This is the end. But in middle school, it might have involved weed and a trombone case. So, <laughs> so let's not skip over the middle school, the well, weed, you know, and the trombone gotta, gotta, case, bud. You got to cut your teeth being a hustler somewhere. <laughs> actually, it wasn't. It was actually fifth grade. Uh-huh. Yeah, my parents thought I was in band for two years. <laughs> What's got in that case? I had a you? trombone case, and I cut out all these things, and that's where these older. All I remember is a bunch of old guys that would give me these bongs, and they give me the paraphernalia and i was like i think i was the local mule yeah Yeah. the supplier to the middle school so i would go to the middle school and hang out on the playground and sell my stuff out of the trombone case (laughs) yeah i I mean i never made a dime i I just think i was these these guys told me to do it so i did it so (laughs) but i was good at it i will say that Uh, that's like kind of set you up for. I never inhaled though. Oh, gotcha. I I, I got you. The the weed or the the trombone. I really don't think I did. I don't think I ever smoked it. Hmm. Fifth grade. Yeah. Then my then my family moved to a place called Happy Valley in sixth grade. I bet they did. And then I I seriously was happy up until you know all the crap hit the fan. So mm-hmm. yeah, I never got in trouble. Then then it was sports. You never got yeah. caught. No. No, got chased a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but yeah, I'd say my worst, my darkest years were fifth and sixth grade. <laughs> <laughs> when you're in the drug trade? Yeah. How did you not make any money? They didn't throw you, hey. No, I didn't know what was going on. I did have a paper route during the same hey, time. Hold, so hold on, hold on. Side, side hustle. Uh, hold so really, I guess the trombone thing was a side hustle. Gotcha. The paper route was my full-time gig. We, yeah. and I we've already, before we got on air, we've already discussed that you're not a listener. Um, but so we, Ross had a paper route. I had a paper route and it's, it seemed like several, like of our guests had, had Where paper great routes. warriors are forged. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's tough out there it tough. <laughs> it's t- on uh, the streets, bags on the handlebars, on the streets. you catch a, you catch a, a rainy grate and it's you're picking up all your papers again. Yeah. We, yeah. We've had a lot of successful people in here and it seems like a lot of people started with paper routes. Yeah. So, 
Um, now you, you mentioned seminary. Now seminary, that's where you're going to learn to be a pastor. It's, it's kind of like yep. Bible college. Is that what it is? Yep. So you mentioned getting kicked out. Yeah, it so, didn't go well. Why, well, tell it. Well, you weren't selling weed out of the Bible, you know, were you? There's a couple problems with mm-hmm. my seminary experience. One, I raised a lot of questions. Okay. And it just got annoying. Uh, I remember one time they were they were trying to tell us that that. Uh, Wine in the New Testament times was just grape juice. It wasn't fermented drink. And I just come out of a Greek class where we were studying that. And actually in the Greek, it, it's referred to as a fermented drink. So I just raised my hand. I'm like, hey. And it was like, it was like number 12 of my questions. And he just finally went, look, this, this class isn't for you, son. So that was it. And then I went to a crosstown seminary. And I got kicked I'll out. show them. I actually was in, you know, this will crack you up, but I was in the counseling program. I had a, a deathly fear of public speaking growing mm-hmm. up. So I never wanted to talk publicly. So I went into, like, the counseling program. I thought, well, I'll help people through counseling. And they, uh, they at the end of, like, this one class, they had you actually counsel a live human being who was a single mom with a son, high school son, that was beating the crap out of her. Mm-hmm. And so they brought them in, and I'm behind a window where I'm being observed. And so after hearing the story, this poor lady's working two, two and a half jobs to try to support this little mother. And uh, he's beating on her. So I said, at the end, I said, hey, ma'am, here's what I would do. I would get a few young men just a little bit bigger than your son, and, and I'd ask him to beat the crap out of him because <laughs> he needs to learn to respect you and blah, blah, blah. So... And I told the young guy, I said, I would do it if it was legal. I'd take you out right now in the parking lot. So when it was over, she stands up and gives me this big hug. And I th- so I thought I was a great counselor. <laughs> and then we had the debrief session. And they just said, yeah, we just don't think this is your natural aptitude. And I, at the time, honestly, I was kind of crushed because I really felt like I was sort of called to ministry, if you will. Uh-huh. And uh, thought that was my only shot to avoid talking. So I was like, well, what do you think I should do? One of the guys was my pastor at my church. I said, well, what do you think I should do? And he said, uh, well, we'll do some more assessment, but I think initially, I think maybe like a sniper in the military, (laughs) or, but if you want to like keep doing the Jesus thing, maybe, you know, like a military chaplain or police chaplain. So I, I did, I enrolled in a police chaplaincy thing and yeah, so it, it, it wasn't great. Then I met Cheryl, and the story of our son began. So I actually quit seminary after two years, never went back. And we just started doing life together because of his disability. So um, I sometimes I say that Cheryl and Ryan kind of saved me from trying to finish that thing. But Yeah, they don't usually like when you, as a counselor, when you prescribe violence yeah. as, as the uh, but yeah, When you think about the world, I mean... <laughs> Well, sometimes all this stuff just needs a punch in the face, yeah. you know? <laughs> yes. I told the guy once, racism needs to get punched in the face. <laughs> so you, Cheryl's your wife. Yep. You meet her. Uh, what are you doing at this point? Or, or, and you said you went and started painting houses. So yep. you just done with the seminary? Yeah, I was painting houses. I actually went to work for an, an agency that worked with youth, junior mm-hmm. high, high school kids. It was a deal called Youth for Christ. I was a metro area director, so I worked down more inner city. Um, and so I was doing that kind of part-time, full-time-ish, and then painting on the side. And that's how sort of our life began together. And, uh, yeah, it's a crazy time. Ryan, uh, Cheryl had been married when she was younger, um, 19-ish. Mm-hmm. 
And then that was over at 21 or something like that. But she had Ryan. So when I met her, uh, Ryan was almost five. And he just, he was having, he had started um, having grand mal seizures day one of his life. And so, you know, our dating was basically hanging out at Cheryl's grandmother's house where she lived because grandma would take care of Ryan while Cheryl was working. And we would just sit on, you know, sit on the couch and watch shows and watch Ryan have seizures. That was essentially dating. So um, when I married her, I adopted him, obviously. And uh, then it was it was mostly just the struggle of, you know, trying to help a few high school kids and then paying houses to make ends meet. And yeah, it was a good, nice, humble beginning. Yeah. As you're painting houses, did you did now did you start your own paint house painting business? Yeah, just yeah. me. Yeah, yep. just you and wait, were you thinking? With that? I mean, because you're, you're the, dude, obviously... the dude was selling weed at five. Of course, he didn't go <laughs> to the right start. <laughs> I mean, so you know, now you do so many speaking engagements and things like that that we'll get to. But did you think as you're painting, like, hey, there's there's got to be more for me? I have this gift. I have this something that. Uh, yeah, I think uh, back back then I did because the idea <laughs> of like being called to ministry was this weird. Now I would say it was a sham. I think everybody's called. Uh, to do something, I think they're all just as important. So I would now challenge people that say that they're specifically called to something um, that other people aren't. So, uh, but yeah, at the time I might have been pouting a little bit. If you've ever painted a house, it's not like it's not like a joy, you know. Um, but I learned some things in that. There was a guy named. Uh, in fact, they were doing a fundraiser. Our church was doing a fundraiser for Ryan. Uh, he had to have a brain surgery. It was going to be about a hundred grand after. Our health insurance. I was back in the '80s, so it was like going to bankrupt us. So this mm-hmm. church uh, was doing a fundraiser, so people were donating trades and you know crappy cars or whatever. And so I said, "Well, I'll throw in one of my paint jobs." And this old guy named Ralph bid fifty bucks and got my paint job. <laughs> and I drove up to Ralph's house. I saw his address. It was up in what was called the Northwest Hills of Portland, and it's all these Victorian mansions. And I was like, "Son of a." You know, like there's got to be like a little like teepee up here somewhere because the guy would never just pay 50 bucks. <laughs> well, it ends, it ends paint, up. You paint the outside. Outside, the exterior. 6,700 square foot house on stilts that go four stories down into this uh, Blackberry Canyon. It, impassable. And, uh, and I just sat in my truck that day. And that's when I had my little crisis of like everything. I actually told God we won't be speaking for quite a while. <laughs> I think I brought back some of the F-bombs from the old days, and I just said, I'm not painting this guy's house and uh, for 50 bucks. And I, I literally, it was twice in my life I felt like I heard an audible, and I just remember hearing paint the house. And I said, no, you paint it. Like, tools are in the back of the truck, bro. Like, So I just sit there for a half hour. I finally call Cheryl. I just tell her what's going down. We're already about to be broke and I can't spend weeks on this guy's house. So I'm like, I tell her and I, she doesn't say anything. I get kind of mad at her. I'm like, babe, what do you, what do you think? And she just goes, just paint the house, just paint it. So I hung up on her first time I had ever hung up on her. So one of those old Motorola, big brick phones, <laughs> yeah. you know, and well, you uh, can actually slam it and get a little frustration yeah. out. So I finally walked up, knocked on the door, met Ralph and Irma and, uh, I said, I'm here to paint your house. Thank you for your donation. (laughs) Ross is like, thank you for your donation. He doesn't thank me. He just said, just so you know, I don't want you to uh, spray my house. I want it hand-painted, two coats. 
So I was like, yes, sir. So for six weeks, I was on that house going broke. But uh, at the end of that, I get a call from, I'm telling you a long story because this thing set up the rest of my life. But uh, when I'm done, um, I'm driving down the hill and I get a phone call and it's his son, Scott, who I'd never met. He Mm -hmm. goes, hey, you don't know me. I'm Ralph's son. Uh, Can I meet you for coffee? I said, sure. I just finished your dad's house. And uh, so we meet at a deli and he just, uh, he kind of sits there. He doesn't look at me for a while. And he goes, I don't know if you saw me, but I would drive my pickup truck up and watch you paint my dad's house. Because he goes, I know how much that my dad paid for that. And he said, I found out you were like like a church guy, a Christian guy. And uh, he said, I was sure you wouldn't paint it. I knew you wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And I said, have you had trouble with Christians in the past in business? He said, yeah, every time. And uh, so I, I said, well, you know, I'm a higher cutter. You know, I actually said, look, don't think highly of me. I said, I've hated your dad's guts this entire time. <laughs> and then he'd come out and want to help me, and he was taking up more time. I said, your mother would bring out these, like, egg salad sandwiches with way too much mayo. <laughs> choke. But I just said, hey, don't think highly of me. But I said, I've lost my whole faith in everything on this thing. So, you know, and he, uh, he goes, well, don't feel bad. He said, uh, the fact that you finished it and my parents, they would call me every day and talk about you. And he said, you honored my, my dad and my mom, and you finished the job, and it looks fantastic. And he said, I know you lost everything on this. And he said, I just want you to know you brought me back. And I was like, brought you back where? He's like, God. And he said, I chucked it years ago, mostly because of people. And, he, and so he said, can you walk me back to God? And I said, well... <laughs> If you'll help me too, like and so mm-hmm. we teamed up together, and he ended up just being an amazing man. Started a thing called Project Hope with me, where we were building houses for single moms and uh, doing all sorts of cool stuff. And so, anyway, that was the beginning of me rethinking life and how to affect the world. And uh, yeah, I I I thought that story was going in a direction of. This, you know, once I got done, this wealthy man came out, paid me, blah, blah, blah. No, he didn't give me crap. <laughs> and, and, that's, and that's how my mind works. But that story just gave me chills yeah. like, down my spine because that was, that was definitely a, 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 in the long run, a much better thing than him coming out and paying. Yeah, it was a total, total change of perspective for me is, because uh, Scott helped me start our first church. It was him. And he would start to invite his plumber buddies and his contractors and a lot of them actually started to come around with with God and so that then Scott became kind of our big funder for everything so it was just it was a change of thinking like oh you're you're specifically called to like preach sermons for people or build businesses and do things that are with real people and so after that I never questioned it you know and, uh, you know, we dug out. It was kind of funny. It did come back around. Scott eventually one day said, hey, I want you to come down to the office. Uh, you're going to buy a condo today. And I said, Scott, I don't have any money, bro. But he's like, just come down. You're buying a condo today. So I came down, and he just slid some papers across. He said, you're going to buy this brand new one I just built right here. And so I signed that. And he said, I know you need some money for a brain surgery. So congratulations. You now own that one. And then he goes, I think you should sell it now. <laughs> so we put a for sale sign on the ground, and, and that 
paid wow. for a good chunk of that and got us a little cabin up in the woods. That's powerful. Yeah. Is it? And to, and to be able to look back, when you first said, you know, how old were you at this time? I'd say I was probably 26, 27. And you said right off the bat, this story is is what put me on my path, my journey yeah. for life. Yeah. And I, you, that you're able to recognize something back from when you were 26. That have, that's early, I think. So that's powerful. Yeah. I kind of look back and think, like, if I had finished seminary, got hired at some traditional church, like, for me, that's, like, like inconceivable. And now looking back at our life and what's happened, mostly through Ryan's disability, I just, I would never change anything. But I never, like, I always tell people, everything I'm doing now, everything I've ever literally ended up doing, I would have never been able to see that for myself. Like, it's been an unfolding sort of... Uh, mystery novel and uh most of it has a lot of sufferings a lot of chapters on suffering but i look back and i go man i love our story i love what this has done but it, it's the suffering of especially hard work you don't see it at the time but if if you keep your head down you just don't see what's around the corner and and even who's watching and what they're seeing and what we're doing in the world so i don't know i'll take that i love it um, so how do we end up, how do we end up here in Alton, Illinois? You're in, you're in Portland, you're in California, you're, how, how do you yeah. end up here in, uh, in a town? We were in Denver at the time. Denver. Well, that's, uh, goes to your Beverly farms. I, right. Even when you were talking about Beverly farms as a setup, I'm having a hard time choking back some emotion because, uh, yeah, Ryan, you know, continued to struggle all through the Denver years, um, Started another church in Denver, but it was a it was an unpaid deal. It was just a network of people in their communities, uh, about three hundred people, no paid staff at all, just trying to take care of neighborhoods, you know. Uh, and uh, Ryan's still struggling. I'm still house painting. I'd written a few books, so by then I'm starting to kind of travel around the world, speaking related to the books. And so there's now. Well, what are you? What are, like going back to your early books? What are, What are those about? What's What's the subject matter? Different ways of thinking about um, the message of Jesus and mm-hmm. what the church is. First book was called The Tangible Kingdom, and it was really a story. You know, most of Jesus's teachings are related not to church at all. It's in fact religion or organized faith was what was screwing up everything. So he would talk about the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom of heaven, which means the way it is in heaven can now be here on earth, right? So if there's no poverty in heaven, when we work uh, to help somebody through some poverty issues, we're bringing a little heaven to earth for them, at least for that day. And um, so we just wrote a book on that and talked about what uh, what if people that follow God just try to make the kingdom tangible to the world. And so that's what got, you know, sort of got the ball rolling on that. And with your whole, like, I guess, pastoring, is that a word? Sure. Has always been not so much as in the church, but out in the community, right? And and I don't I don't really remember how you and I met, but I've been to your house. Remember we had yeah. the, uh, we had yeah. the, I don't know what we, what you called it, but it was a little Bible study little at journeyman. your house. I'm sorry? I think we called it journeyman at the time. Yeah. Like so at his house and, you know, he, we're, we're, you know, going, you know, going a little Bible study sort of thing. And he has, there's a big food spread and, and I probably drank enough wine to, uh, for my church's communion on a Sunday. Do you know what I'm saying? But it wasn't, it was one of those things we sat around, yep. you know, we all had, we all had drinks and we ate some good food and, 
I feel like we played a little game with like what what was your your like what what was your porno name be like remember that like it, your your <laughs> yep, first did, dog and yeah, yeah. the street you live on or something like that but we just did some fun things that yeah. you wouldn't that you wouldn't think of as being in churchy so to speak but it was it was just us sitting around and just you know communicating yeah. and talking and everybody talked about different problems and issues and yeah, yeah I well, love think about it I mean if, again if if you if you read the story the whole mm-hmm. book is about real life it's not there was no uh, if you've ever read, like, even, this is like weird sociology, but there are some guys that talked about first, second, third place. These are the places of our life that we live. First place is our home. Second place is our work. Third place would be like the local pub or the, the social space. That you, and, that, and most of our lives are built and live within those three spheres. Well, church became a fourth sphere. It was almost like a country club. So you leave one, two, and three, and you drive off with your kids in the minivan to the fourth place. But that stays disconnected from real life. And so like when I, when I just watch the story of Jesus, I just see him. He's never in a fourth place. He's always in one, two, or three. And every, so therefore, everything he talked about, the kingdom of heaven here on earth, I go, that's, that's terra firma, baby. That's like uh, Monday morning at the deli. Um, so And everything after that, it's all real life. So if, uh, you know, if people are going, yeah, I just haven't found a lot of, hope in church stuff, I go, yeah, you shouldn't. It's, uh, that wasn't supposed to bring you hope. It's supposed to be something that uh, takes over your entire life, recreates your story, and then you live it in, in the context of real human beings. So. And, and if, you, if you know anything about the Bible, like, like Jesus, when he was on earth, like he wasn't hanging out with, with the clergy and things like that. He was hanging out with the tax collectors and they, they get yeah. like, he was hanging out at, you know, like yeah. places and they, they would be on him because why are you hanging out with these people? Like, well, these are the ones that need to be saved, not the righteous. I need to be hanging out with the sinners. That's the ones we're trying to bring, yeah. bring in. You well, know? Anyway, we did, you know, we'll get back to the Ryan story, but when we came here and did the post, the fact that we had the whiskey bar next to the coffee bar, I got a, a few shots, you know, some emails, always the local ministerial alliance mm-hmm. that just can't figure out why you'd have a whiskey bar or uh, whatever. And yeah. So, but yeah, Ryan, Ryan so got Ryan's us is up here for, to, to, to come to Beverly yeah, Farms. Yeah, we, right? uh, seven years before we moved here, uh, we found Beverly Farms. There was no other place we could find in the country that was adult facility for disabled so Ryan at the time was mid twenties, you know, mm-hmm. he was supposed to have died when he was five or six and he just kind of kept living and, uh, found Beverly farms. We flew him out here. He loved it he, for him mentally. He was like, dad, I'm old. Like I want to live with my own people. You know, he was very independent, you know, but he was socially maybe at 12, 10, 12 years of age, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so he, yeah, we brought him out here and he loved it. Um, and we would just kind of come out four or five times a year to visit him. And each time we would, you know, try to find a cup of coffee. There's no freaking cup of coffee. Any there wasn't like nothing <laughs> right. at the time. Right. I remember standing in the middle of Broadway in downtown Alton, and I was making a joke to share. It was freezing cold, and there was no cars anywhere. And if you remember, you know, seven eight years ago, a lot of the buildings were boarded up, and I just remember going, "What's wrong with this town? Like we can't even get a cup of coffee." Yeah. You know. And uh, so that's how we started. But we were pulling house flyers, going, "Holy." crap, how's that 4,000-square-foot Victorian only $94,000, you know? <laughs> Yeah. So we would joke about coming here, 
But really, it was a joke. We were living in Denver, baby. Yeah. You know, at the foot <laughs> of the foothills, right where the yeah. Rockies start to go. We were on a four-acre ranch, right, twenty minutes from downtown. I mean, we had it fly fishing four minutes away. Uh, and uh, one day we're at Tony's, the old Tony's site, and uh, we're talking to a waitress. I asked this young waitress, "What do young people do in Alton?" And she goes, "Well, my friends just do drugs." <laughs> Well, she was honest. Yeah, she was. And I said, shooter. She was. And she looked pretty rough. So I said, yeah. I don't know why I said this, but I said, darling, do you struggle with that too? And she said, yeah, but I'm doing well right now. And mm-hmm. so we were just trying to, you know, gave her a hug and encouraged her and tipped the heck out of her. And this older couple came over, uh, president of one of the banks in town. They heard, overheard us. They're like, hey, are you guys thinking about moving to Alton? And I joked, no, of course not. We live in Denver. <laughs> and uh, they said, well, man, that's too bad because we could we could use some new kind of something new. So anyway, we uh, we head out to our car and Cheryl is not by my side. <laughs> I can sense she's like I turn around. I'm she like, was following. Where by, are you? Wasn't she? Well, she she was. <laughs> yeah. But she said, uh, I look back. I said, get in the car. She's like, and she's pointing at her chest. She's like, did you feel it? I'm like, feel what? Which I did. I knew exactly what she was talking about. It's a little kind of finger. Of, I, it's just indigestion, babe. Yeah, I said, yeah, let's the go, pizza. Let's, get, yeah, let's head back that. to the foothills. And she goes, no, I think we're supposed to move here and do something to maybe encourage the town. That's, you know, so we got in a little bit of a fight because I don't want to, I don't want to no. live here, no. you know? And so we went back and had three weeks of battle, just battling. Like, she's like, no, I really think we're supposed to move here and uh, so we had a family talk my daughters who they all came with us my two adult daughters and son-in-laws we we made a family decision let's all go together no idea what we would do we just said let's just try to do something to encourage the space uh our portland context is more inner city uh and uh so you know at this at this time what what is your what's your major income while you're in Denver, it's a little bit of everything. It's speaking, it's coaching, it's uh, some book stuff, it's house painting. I, I painted so with you last year. So you probably thought that that could travel. Yeah, I thought it was a travel hub, and we'll try to figure out something to do, you know, to encourage. Yeah, I literally had no idea. Yeah. Um, and then probably you know I I now I feel like I get time stuff wrong, but I think it was within the year uh, I met John Simmons. Barely knew him at all, really. Uh, he had paid for lunch. I was doing a pastor's training at one of the churches in Alton, and I just heard some guy paid for lunch for everybody. So I, so we got to know each other, did a lunch, and then uh, John and I were talking. He said, hey, I want to show you some buildings I own around town. And so we went on a little tour, and, uh, yeah, he just, at the end of the day, he just said, yeah, how about we give you this? And hmm. uh, so initially... You know, I think I said no because it was too bad. I didn't know how. What are we going to do to the thing was boarded up for sixty years. Yeah, and for people that don't know, this is the the, the used old to be federal the old, post office. Yeah, it used yeah. to be the old federal post office yep. in in Alton, and it, it hadn't been used in sixty years. Yeah, there's about a year and a half where apparently it was like an antique shop, but uh-huh. yeah, windows in the back were boarded, cinder blocked up, and I mean it was in bad shape. But um, yeah, we ended up. I, uh, called a friend that said, when you figure out what you're supposed to do in that town, I do want to help financially. So I called this one guy named Al out of the cornfields of Iowa. And Al and Carol committed over the phone $300,000. I said, I don't know if I'm going to take the building, but 
that's incredible. So hang, you know, hang on. Mm-hmm. I was down speaking at a men's retreat, some church, bunch of guys down in uh, San Francisco. A day later, down, and I'm kind of sharing the story as I'm talking to the guys about what we think our family's supposed to do. And uh, a guy that played for the 49ers came up and said, can I fly you back? I got some buddies that I think would want to help you. And so flew back, and six guys over a steak dinner wrote checks for $150,000. And then I flew back into Alton with really kind of a half a mil in my <laughs> yeah. brain. Yeah. And uh, But I still had not said yes to John, and uh, and then the mayor of Alton came over at the time. When he, when he was giving it to you, or, or and you were thinking about doing this, did you know coffee shop? Is that what you were thinking, or you weren't, weren't sure what you were going to do with the space? Wasn't quite sure, but okay. we were pretty sure it was going to be something. We were thinking something that would bring the community together. And specifically, we said, well, let's, just, let's not compete with any existing businesses. Let's only add what's not there. At the time, Germania was not there. So as we started to renovate, Germania came on board, so it was nice to go down and get a cup of coffee there. But um, we felt like the building itself would be much more than a coffee shop. It would be like a, a connection spot. And we thought, you know, if, if we can do anything to encourage the town, it would be to give people a daytime space to connect and then get some crap done around here. I, I, I've heard it's been described as the living room of Alton. Yeah, we like that. Yeah. We like that. So yeah, so that was the story. Ryan got us here. His disability got us here. Beverly Farms was our little, it was our family. Um, and then he finally passed away two years ago. And so, I mean, we, our whole family calls him the, patri- the, the spiritual and real-life patriarch of our, our entire family. Everything we've done was because of his struggle. And, um, and none of it was fun, you know, mm-hmm. watching him do his struggle. But I sort of get it now. You know, I mean, uh, all of us have friends that, uh, or family members that some of them are a little bit weaker and have different types of struggles. And we try to figure out how to fix that or get past it. But I'm finding if we can kind of settle into the suffering, uh, oftentimes what's supposed to be revealed gets revealed a lot better so one thing i'd like to touch on on this uh is is beverly farms i I feel like that the people in this area have no idea what that place is what it's about do you know what i'm saying i think i think people here think it's almost like a nursing home where like you don't know what to do with your your person who has some sort of physical like salvation and you just drop them off you know what i'm saying and you take off and to never worry but it's and i didn't know this until i got invited out there and invited to be on the board and did a tour and everything it's it's an amazing it's its own little community it's its own little city where people with you know with special needs or disabilities how you want to say it go and live and they can live like a normal person sort of like yes. in a dormitory type situation yep. and activities have, a whole deal yeah they have a gym school, they have a right? pool they, they have a school they have send yes. ryan over to the community college he's taking community college classes a bunch of his buddies working jobs so they actually they they feel like they're actually contributing right and so, they have store amazing. they have their own stores there they have like a, a resale res- resale shop there where you know they work the stores and people work out and they work out in the communities yes. i sit on the silla board there where they actually have off-campus housing, and they live in yeah. houses there, and have you know they have they have some supervision, but they're able to live more of a normal. Yeah, Ryan life. got to live in one of those. Oh, nice! That's the board. Like, I, that's the like board a I frat sit on. House. Yeah, exactly. There's some stuff going on in there. <laughs> exactly. Ryan was like, 
head thug you heard of the whole thing. <laughs> they, uh, you know, th so the first time I go out there to tour, they take me into one of the uh, the residents, like like one of the dorm type situations where they, you know, they share each share the two of them to a bedroom and they have their yep. living. And so I came in and all these dudes, it was one of the male ones and all these dudes just start coming out of the room and yeah. dude, they are all over me. Just like, let me show you my room. And just dude, I, I would always tell people, look, when, when you pull into Beverly farms, it'll be like, and I said, you have to enjoy it. It's like the night of the living dead coming out <laughs> and you just can't be afraid. They're just coming for love. It is. I love you. Dude, like, I am just for love. I'm standing in the middle of this thing and they're just like all around me. Like blah, 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 I, this, 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 look at this. Come here. Look at this. Dude. I just, like a I, thriller video. Yeah. Real Michael Jackson. <laughs> I yeah. fell in love with it though. Totally. Do you know what I'm saying? And that's what, and you know, that's how, what got me on the board and then uh, to end up having this special needs circuit. Why I initially tried to seek you out because I heard you were on that board and I was like I got to meet that guy. So uh -huh. there's some, I don't know. Everything's connected. Yeah, bro. yeah. Right. Hey, Ryan's yeah. connecting. Yeah, ex exactly. Yep. Um. So then you, you end up. I'm sure you did a lot of praying on this, and so you like you end up taking it like okay, we're gonna take the space yep. that Simmons was offering. Yep. And uh, yeah, we just uh, got my daughter in Allie, who's really gifted with design. So I would just say, hey, I give her ideas, and she create Pinterest boards. So I said, Hey, we got to have bars for the coffee and the whiskey. And she would give me options. I go, I like that one. And, but I, that was my full-time gig for, you know, 10 months. And then slowly we started to find the staff. Uh, David with the coffee kind of started it off and then brought his sister in Justin, who's now kind of is the mom of the shop and, mm -hmm. and just amazing people just started to, like, we literally didn't have to look for anything. I, I, uh, this was the other change in my life. Like the first 50 years, because I was 50 at the time we, we rolled in. And uh, it was just life of working hard, hoping something sticks, right? And I remember walking down the streets of Alton going, I'm tired. Like, God, don't bug me. Like, but you gave me a building. So, you know, but I just said, I, I'm only going to do what I think that you're doing. I'm not just going to overwork anymore. Like, and I kept saying, bring it to me. So when I tell you the story of how the building came through the Simmons family and then how quickly the money came, that's what helped me to see that that's what we were supposed to do. And we've kind of continued that. We don't, you know, we like to say that we're an incubator for good works. So there is a nonprofit behind Post Commons. Right. And that was to receive the building and receive the funds to, to put into it. It was all gift funding. Nobody's like a financial investor. Um, I don't take any income from it. So I'm just the president of the nonprofit per se. Um, but with, uh, with knowing how much time and effort goes into it, why, why don't you take a profit from it? Um, well, because part of the, the, and we could, you know, a lot of nonprofits, you have, you know, salary structures or whatever, but I was able to make my income out on the road speaking and stuff. And so there was just kind of a, I guess, a internal doc that we try to be as little burden financially on the nonprofit as possible. Yeah. And because I was able to do that. Um, you know, that's, that was my choice. I also, to me, it was a labor of love. Kind of, it was Ryan wooing us to town. It was in many ways, God wooing us to this town and he was giving us all the resource. <laughs> it wasn't me. He was given all of it. So I, I just felt like it's not mine to take. It's mine to steward. And so I'm still the president. Um, I go in there, but our team runs everything. Uh, they all get paid. That's their jobs, you know? Um, but oh, we you've just, had some employees that have been there since basically yeah, since the beginning, right? Most of them yeah. really have. And, and it's really our family. 
And uh, so sometimes I tell people it's my church. People will say, well, do you go to church? I go, no, this is my church. These are the people that I pray with. They're the people I work with. They're the people uh, I go on mission with. They're the people I struggle with. And I go, that's, to me, that's the best definition of a church that you can have. And everything is about what we think would be good news to the city. So we don't try to pre-plan anything. We want it to come through the door. So if people have an idea to help somebody or help themselves, our posture is how do we help you? So we've had people come in and they realize they can sit there all day and not get pushed out of a table because it's I, huge, right? I, I, do, I don't even drink coffee, Ross. I come there with an iced tea and a book yeah. and my notebook and just sit yeah. there for and hours. I've had people but... apologize. Hey, sorry, I was here. for, And I have had to say, no, if you can't afford your own office space, yeah, use Post Commons. We want that for that. Uh, so, yeah, anything good, we just want to see come out of it. For anybody that doesn't know about Post Commons, give us a quick rundown of everything you guys offer. Well, the Post Commons yeah, the, the core businesses are the coffee cafe. Now we have a full coffee roasting company, Idle Roasting. Um, the, it became kind of a premier event space in town um, just because it was so beautiful. I put some wood on a back wall, and all of a sudden everybody wanted to get married there. But the building sets up really beautifully for wedding and large functions. It is. I, I went to my first bar. wedding there yeah. over the summer, and it was... Yeah, it, it was just feels like you got the whole place to yourself. And so the events is... Events is probably the only thing that makes money, honestly. The, <laughs> the food and the coffee, very little margin, especially kind of post-COVID right now. Uh, if you ever think that or you get upset that people are raising their prices in any restaurant right now, don't. Because everybody's losing money right now based on the margins. So... Uh, those are the lot. What we say the lost leaders just to meet people. So let's give. A, but the events we make a little bit of money, and that would kind of keep us afloat. So COVID hurt because uh, we had all these weddings planned, and we had to actually give people back their deposits. So we we had to give back about sixty grand during COVID, <laughs> and there was no, no income. So yeah. we we barely made that season. But uh, so yeah. So you know, coffee events, uh, roaster. Um, and then, you know, down in the basement, we just opened that up last year as kind of a co-working, but we're giving a group called Shift. It's an ad agency, a bunch of young uh, creatives that are going to build out the whole basement for creatives in our town. Uh, but then we've incubated. So what, what, what does that mean? What, like they can well, like they're, they provide, you know, full-scale marketing, graphic design, web development, uh, video stuff, and they're all incredible musicians. So... Anybody that is trying to create anything, they want the basement to be like full service for them. And so uh, right now they're just actually taking uh, invites, if you will, for people to have some office space. But they can kind of share a lot of the same equipment and uh, just to be in an environment where you're always around people that are doing that type of stuff. They'll, they'll be like a podcast room for this because some of them are into that and uh, not to compete with you at all. Because there's no way to compete with <laughs> excellence thank, like this. Thank you. Yes, yes. Can't so wait. So we don't know. Post Commons, uh, you know, I, I tell them all the time, our only goal is to stay here because it gives people a place to connect and meet people. And the, the most common cool thing that I hear is people say, uh, this place was, uh, it provided me a day where I met this person and I actually ended up getting a job. Or uh, something that's never moved. Uh, I had somebody actually say, uh, this place is helping heal Alton. And then, and then they talked about how they had struggled for the black-white connection in this town. And uh, the Post Commons gave a place where anybody could come. And uh, that something actually moved within race relations because of their time in the building. So 
I just go, look, we're not trying to make a ton of money. Generally, if we make any extra, we're, we're doing something with it. We're building out some other type of business or uh, giving a micro grant to somebody to start something. Or So we're barely making it every two weeks, and that's what we do. We just, you know, let's just stay here. Um, no particular big, huge plans, but uh, we love it. I like how you like say if say if I'm a jewelry maker and I make homemade jewelry like you invite them like hey you want to set up your shop right here in the 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 lobby or whatever the front do it hey if you make art or something you want to be right here and and make your art and whatever like you guys and you encourage that the only thing we've said no to is a male pole dancing club. But I, well, I thought it'd be that's a good, just because I we didn't be a, have I the polls. A, I thought it'd be a good idea. We had the polls. <laughs> Next time, Todd, maybe bring a little bit more. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm working on the poll right now. That's what she said. Um, what do what your kids do now in, in Alton? Uh, uh, one son-in-law is an Alton fireman. One is uh, teaching math at Alton High School. So the boys. And uh, my daughter, uh, McKenna, does social work. She's a school counselor over in Ferguson at a high school. And uh, my oldest daughter, Allie, kind of helps with all the post stuff, uh, runs a cut flower business called Marigolds by Allie, and does foster care. So she's mostly just hanging around a bunch of kids. So we've got uh, three grandkids right now, one on the way, and two foster grandkids that uh, we get to hopefully keep someday. So. And uh, you guys do yoga there too, don't you? Yep, McKenna was doing that and uh, just started that back up. She got pregnant, so but she just started classes again two weeks ago. Gotcha. A little bit of everything going on in there. Yeah, and I like you have a lot of local art hanging in there, which I which I really dig. It's yeah. pretty cool. Monica Mason, incredible yeah. local artist. I just brought someone there for the first time Monday, and they're like, "Well, look at this art. I don't even yeah. know who that is." And blah blah blah. blah yeah, blah, world class so. stuff. So yeah, we gave her a space for five years. That uh, we just said no charge, just create and uh, huge. Let's do a little true false with you. Yep. Okay. And these are always true, Ross. Or I wouldn't be at. You know what I'm saying? So, um, you had the opportunity to play college football or college tennis, and you chose tennis. It's true. True. Mm-hmm. Are you still a tennis? I've never. I didn't know anything about your your tennis abilities. Until I, now. I don't really look like I have a tennis body, <laughs> but yeah, I uh, self taught. Um, I'm the only guy in, in Oregon State high school tennis history to get kicked out for brawling <laughs> during a tennis match. I like that. That's true. We love that. Um, oh, let's get back to that. What's a, how do you how do you get in a fight in tennis? When the chump across the net the is chump. like a club player, and he was like three number three in state, and I was beating him. He was calling balls out that were like four feet in. So I just invited him to the net, yep. pop, pop the one. So <laughs> that's, a, that's a fight. That'll do it. Yeah. Uh, did you, you renovated an old bus uh, mm. for your family to live, travel in. It was an old prison bus. The bus was gifted to you by a group of incarcerated men who you led uh, to Yes, it was the a, Lord. It was, well, it was a men's retreat. And yeah, a third of the guys were from San Quentin. And rolled in four prison buses, big white prison buses. And, yeah, a lot of the guys had a good time that weekend. And as a thank you, they made a presentation at the end. Because I had told them that my wife wanted to travel someday in a bus. So they literally had figured out amongst themselves how to give me one of their prison buses. (laughs) And uh, so, yeah, I flew in from Australia one time to go pick up my bus that was in the city that my 
plane was landing in, so I picked it up and it broke down in Bakersfield. It cost me eleven grand. <laughs> sat there for well over a week trying to, but yeah, it was great. Ended up being a huge story again for our son. And uh, then when we got the the farm, we sold that so I could buy a tractor. <laughs> um, you're uh, disaster, disastrously. Is that right, Rice? Am I saying that, Ross? Sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, disastrously. That's hard to say. Injury and accident, accident prone. It's a miracle he's still alive. You broke your back skiing. You broke your nose water skiing. You've had a bear encounter. Yeah. These are true. Well, we, we, well, we, when we say true. true or false, we really kind of like to I know, expand I'm a little offended that whoever, this must have been my children that <laughs> gave you that. I don't think I'm accident prone at oh. all. I think I'm highly athletic and have avoided terrible things because well, of that Well, you broke your back. You broke your back. I don't, I'm not but, sure. What would you avoid well, there? Maybe the athleticism and the way he was able to maneuver the fall caused it only to be a broken back. Yes, that's, it could have been a, death. A, a normal man would, have be, yeah, would be dead right yeah, now? standard man would have been gone. <laughs> Bear encounter. I, I did, by? though. I'm surprised they forgot to mention that I did chainsaw my uh, my thigh a few months after I stuck my hand in a table saw. Finally, after 50-some <laughs> years, I literally was out there with my daughter and just decided to put my hand in the blade. And Todd knows about that. Yeah. Yeah. Have you done that? Uh, a little bit. Yeah. So you <laughs> got, like got, talk about got your leg? <laughs> yeah, I got it. Everything's there still. So the bear encounter. Yeah, that was your standard bear encounter. Yeah, I mean, I was yes. Speaking well, I, a, I know, I've seen some very non-standard bear encounters, so I just want to kind of hear about yeah. the standard one. Yeah, this was up in the Sierras. I was speaking at a, some retreat, and they gave us two-hour break to go walk in the woods. So they, they didn't even mention the fact that there are actual grizzly, you know, whatever, brown bears up there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just I, I actually came across this, like, berry field, beautiful berries. I was like... Thinking, man, if I was a bear, I'd be right here. And right then <laughs> was a bear. Yeah. And he walked me up a up a trail about 150 yards. And how close did he get? He was within 15 feet the entire time. He kept the same range, and I just kept backing up. Thank God your athleticism, you were able to get away. Yeah, I thought that was it, though, bro. I literally, <laughs> I was having some peace talks with yeah. the Almighty on that one. Like, <laughs> but I did think that would be a good death. I mean, there's there's crappy ways to go, and then there's good deaths. Like, if I had been eaten by the bear, my family would have actually promoted that. They would have <laughs> This is how our dad went out. What's What's the movie with Brad Pitt and his brothers and he's yeah. kind of the odd man out, and at the end he yeah. ends up like the Revenant or uh, no, that's oh, not the Brad not Pitt. The Revenant, no, that's I almost said a Caprio. A river runs through. Yep. It's not that one. It's the, Legends of the Fall. Legends of the Fall. Yes, yes. Legends of the yes. Fall. That's that how was he goes good. Out. Yeah. We We both have man crushes. And it said on, on that movie that that was a good death, yes, right? That's absolutely. where that came from. Yeah. Yeah. The the um. The Indian who's doing the story. Would you guys rather die from a bear attack or a shark attack? Bear. Bear. Bear or cougar? Well, a cougar would never attack me because I'm from Campsville, Illinois, and that's home of the cougars, the Campsville cougars. So okay. I'm sort of noted. One. I'm one with the cougars. Yep. So that's it a tough question. For me. I, you know, I think we start, we like we just discussed which one's cooler. I think the bear is. But when it really comes down to those two, I'm thinking which one's going to kill me faster? 
Um, with the shark, I take the shark out because there could be possible drowning, yeah. and I don't want to drown. But I hear that that's but actually the most comfortable way to die is drowning. I've drowned There's a no couple. Pain. I've drowned a couple times. <laughs> and so you're fearful, but you're not in pain. So I mean, I've been resurrected. I've been. It's like getting choked out, as you know in yes, MMA. It's just yes. like lights out. I've I've been uh, brought back to life from drowning really? a couple times. So. That's awesome. So yeah, it's just you just sort of fade into the blackness and you don't you have no idea. So <laughs> you wake up and that. one of your and one of your buddies is leaning over. He just got done got his sticking his sticking his lips to yours. Yeah. You know that's so I'd have rather been dead. Yeah, <laughs> Should have just let I'll me go. The, but I'll take the bear. Let me go, bro. <laughs> I'll, I'll take, take the bear. Anyway. I'll take the bear. Uh, this isn't a true and false. This isn't true or false. But they said you've led many people to Jesus and most. In, in the most unexpected places, uh, some of your favorites, most favorite are bars over a good glass of whiskey. Yeah, I've also probably led a lot of people away from him, so don't, <laughs> don't give me any credit. But I did used to go uh, downtown Portland. I was like the St. Paddy's Day guy. So local Irish bars would let me come in and do a little 10, 15-minute Who was St. Patrick on St. Paddy's oh, Day. Nice. Those were great. Those were great nights. Some of the best talks with people were on that because they're hammered. <laughs> but they they're weeping because yeah. they just they didn't know St. Patrick was a real dude. Um, you built an ice rink at your house or yep. at the farm? Pretty unsuccessful. And this was recent, I yeah, think. This yeah, this was uh, just this last year we gave that a shot. I had one day, one great day of pictures mm-hmm. with all the kids and grandkids out there, and then it melted. So right well, now we have Ryan a lake. was a big hockey fan. Hockey, he like was yeah play hockey. Yeah, fact, so that's uh, yeah, my daughter. Is that how the hike? Ice Reek came about? Yeah, sort of. The whole hockey thing. My wife uh, got Ryan involved in a um, disabled hockey team mm-hmm. in Denver. That's what actually moved us to Denver. And uh, so that got my daughters in it. They played very high-level ice hockey all the way through high school. Traveled all over uh, North America. And uh, But yeah, Ryan could never go maybe more than a quarter mile an hour. But he got <laughs> our whole family out on the yeah. ice. So yeah. Yeah. Now you've uh, in his name and his honor you started a farm like the the Rye yep, Dog the Farm. The Rye Dog Farm. Yeah, you yep. want to tell us about that? Yeah, we uh, and he uh, passed. My wife had a little struggle there, you know, mm-hmm. uh, going okay. What what are we supposed to do now that he's not here? And so she ended up wanting to do an equine therapy. We had brought our horses from Denver, so she was boarding them out here, um, close to Edwardsville. And so uh, when he passed, we. Uh, found some land and set up Rye Dog Farm with the subsequent nonprofit Rye Bag Refuge, which would be the equine therapy. And uh, so we basically, uh, folks come even out of like Riverbend Family Ministries, they'll connect with a mental health specialist. And then Cheryl uh, got her equine therapy, which essentially she helps work with the mental health worker. Uh, It's just any normal mental health issue people have, they can come out to the farm and do that. So uh, we're trying to build that out, uh, even build out an indoor arena so we can do it year round. It's so right, right now only when it's a decent, you know, day out. But uh, yeah, so that's become, I never thought I'd be on a farm. Again, that's another chapter. It wasn't there. I'm a, I'm a city boy, but yeah, we got a, a John Deere now <laughs> yeah. Sit, sitting on some land and uh, got four horses out there, some chickens and flower farm. Got to do something. Maybe I'll grow some weed. Do you, anybody know how that's <laughs> that legal? Do you garden? My daughter's garden. I I hate gardening, bro. Yeah, I'm mostly just the I'm the beef. I work. They they think up projects and they go, Dad, we need this. 
So I just do that. Help with the horses, but we still gardening this year? What's that? Yes. Still, yes, that we are. Yes. Okay. Yes. I may throw some Christmas trees in up there. Good idea. But that's a long game. That's a seven year plan. But yeah, I just ordered me up three thousand trees. <laughs> so I've been Googling how to start a Christmas tree farm. So we thought that'd be a fun thing for the family as the kids get older. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. How long does that take for them to mature and be able to I think six to seven years. So um, so where, where have you, I know you, you mentioned Australia, where, where are some of the places you've spoken throughout, uh, and, and what do you speak on? Let's, let's talk about that. Oh, it's, it can be anything. It's uh, a lot of times it's, um, well, like doing stuff that we're doing now. A lot of people that used to be traditional church leaders are now wanting to go into cities, more, uh, struggling towns and do things that would matter to the city. So I do a lot of a lot of work on that. We call it Brave Cities. So you're trying to build uh, a kingdom city within the city that we live in. So we uh, we do a lot of coaching, consulting. Uh, a lot of churches might have me in to speak on a number of, of issues. Um, but I mostly like coaching. Yeah, anybody who's in an impoverished area that's trying to bring economic enterprise uh, so that the, they can bless the city. There's There's one passage of Scripture that's like the motto at the post. And it's Proverbs 11.10, where the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. So I always think that when God's people do the works of God, the city should be glad that we're there. That's not normally the case. Um, but, you know, so if people come into the post, they go, well, what is this? Sometimes I say we're like a kind of like a neo-Trappist order. Have you ever heard of the Trappist monks? They, they made some great beer. Right, but they would—they were a cloistered order, but they would not leave the town. They go into the main streets of towns, and they go, "What does this town need?" And most of the time, you know, Middle Ages, they needed water was unsafe to drink, so they would brew beer, and then they'd make whiskey type things for antiseptic, and then they would take the spent grain and make bread for the whole town, and then eventually it become like the hotel because everybody's bringing all their wares. To in fact, a lot of people trace, you know, if you go to any cool town, there's always that city market. A lot of that came from the Trappist movements, is that they would just bring the whole town together for the goods. So their motto was Ora et Labora. So we have that throughout the Post Commons. It's on my arm, uh-huh. and it means the prayer is to do the work, and the work is to pray. It's all connected. So they said there's no distinction between sacred and secular space. So it's not more sacred to be at a church service than it is to be helping somebody start a bakery. Um, or just to do the work of painting a house. So um, we, we like to, we're, we're not really orderish, but we kind of are. We're a small band of people, and we literally live our lives together. We have a common spirituality related to Jesus around that, but we mostly focus on the, the, the works that we think God would want to see happen in the city. And, uh, and for that, I go, I don't know if there's a better way to live for me. Like, I want to do this, even if I never got paid, and I don't think I ever will, <laughs> this is our labor of love. It's our way of life, um, and uh, and nothing's more satisfying than no. It really is. It paychecks aren't more exa- satisfying than doing the work. No, but I would like a few here and there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If if people are interested in this concept, there's a cool book called the the Business Secrets of the Trappist Monks. The Business Secrets. Of the yeah, it's a really Monks. cool. It's kind of like our manifesto, and uh, but you know, a lot of people that work with us, they're not. I mean. Like people say, well, are you a Christian? But no, I mean, we have a lot of employees that they don't believe what we believe, mm-hmm. and we don't care. 
you know, um, we just want to be with them and work with them. And uh, to me, it's a great way to bring the world together. You don't have to, like, my why is different than somebody else's why. My why literally was a conversation that our family had related to our faith in God. So that was our why we came here. But somebody else's why might just be that they want to help people that struggle. And they don't have to believe what we believe, but they can become family with us and they can be community and they can be coworkers and we can live our lives with them. So there's, we, it's like literally a non-judgment zone. There's no judgment upon people. We're just thankful uh, for anybody that wants to do something good for somebody else. So Love hopefully that. Uh, that can keep spreading. You guys have done the same thing. I've, I literally, we drive by this every time. I will talk about, like, this is one of the, the works of God in our area. It doesn't matter what anybody believes, but you think about what physical fitness does to transform a life, and you've seen it a hundred times, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, it just is an amazing work of God, whether or not you believe it or not. So good and, job. And I believe that the whole pride fitness, and I've said this a thousand times and people are tired of hearing of it. It came about like, because I'm a moron and, and I feel like it's all been like, everything is just every little single thing to do with this place and where we are now has just, has been like just a blessing and get, yes, from God, like I, I can give you so many little examples of just, you know, things that shouldn't have happened that did things that were successful that shouldn't have been just because of, just because of him. Yep. I'll go, I'll touch on, on all three of our places and what, what we've done talking commons with you and you brought this up that you you guys are called the living room of Alton. Um, and I, I think not purposely, we both have done that with our business. Is You could say the same thing about the brick house in Bethalto, and you would say the same thing about you being a living room for multiple communities that mm-hmm. draw people together. Yep. And that's what, and you and I have talked, like when we were putting our business, we wanted to be like a gathering place. A gathering you know place. Not just a place where they eat, not just a place yep. where they work out, but a gathering place where, you know what I'm saying? You're, you're amongst friends, you're amongst people. And you realize that providing community <clears throat> is the most important gift you can give to people. It's what people are seeking everywhere. And there's incredible, I mean, life is tough right now. And most people, they say the number one need for adults in America is loneliness. They're just, mm-hmm. nobody has their people. And you get so much from people. You get wisdom when you need it at times, times where you're diving, about to jump off the bridge. You got somebody that just keeps you in for the day. Um, you oftentimes find your livelihood in community. You just get everything. And so even like the brick house, there's bars everywhere. But, you know, I always tell people there's a difference between service and hospitality. Everybody's doing service, and some, you know, crappy service and some great service. But when you move it to a level of hospitality, that's where you're creating a home for people. So, and there are unique bars around town that are homes for people. And that I go shoot for that, at least shoot for being a home and oikos is what we call it. And you'll change lives just by having a great burger and fries and a beer for people that have, I I go out to a bar out in Grafton. I won't name it, but you know, there's, it's a local bar and you see that it's the same guy Every night comes at the same time. He gets a special glass with his own unique crappy beer. But, you know, I remember talking to this one guy. Tell me why you come here every time. He waits till his wife falls asleep. She doesn't know that he (laughs) was there. He's been there for 40 years. But he goes, he said, this is my only people. So I think if anybody's listening to this and they're doing any business um, and wondering if they're making any difference in the world, I say, yeah, if you... Out of anything you're doing, if you can create a home, 
a little hospitality, I think you're changing the world. True that. True that. Uh, you mentioned that book, The Monks. Uh, what, what's your favorite book of all time? Let's go. Let's go nonfiction first. Well, I don't read nonfiction. I mean, fiction. Okay. I only read, but okay. I haven't, bro. Okay, I, this is like not going to make me sound good at all. Okay? <laughs> You've I've, already done that for the last hour, you, so let's just keep you. the trend going. I have not read a book in twenty years. Really? Yeah. When I started writing books, because uh-huh. I don't like writing, I hate it. It was so taxing on me that I can maybe read like a magazine and read the little excerpt under the picture. That's all I can do. <laughs> huh. um, but yeah, I'd say a book that changed uh, my thinking about uh, the works of God was a book called The Divine Conspiracy. I always reference that. A guy named Dallas Willard, who was a, we call a kingdom theologian. So he taught about the kingdom of heaven. That that was a game changer for me. Um Oh man, I'm trying to think of uh, four hour work week. Yeah, that was a good one. That's very good. Yeah, I've actually changed the way I live day to day on that. Um, Tim Ferriss. Yep, I think that's all I've read, bro. <laughs> a quarter <laughs> century. <laughs> I got great advice from Todd on books. Um, when I really got into learning, you know, once you're, I was out of college and actually starting to learn the things I wanted to learn right. and, and you get obsessed <laughs> with that stuff. And then you start reading and reading had a lot to do with that. And I was absorbing all these, like it's like the first five or six books I really read. I'm like, man, I love those books. And then you get into a couple books and I'm like, this, this ain't for me, but this thing in me, I don't know, competitiveness or whatever. I couldn't move on to a next book without finishing that book, had really? to finish it. And it was torture. Yeah. And because of that, I got away from reading. I'm like, I don't, I, I don't want to read a book I don't like and then have to fucking finish this because yeah. I couldn't. And Todd, one day, you know, I hadn't read in a while, and, and Todd tells me, he's like, dude, life is too short. You don't have time to finish a book that you don't like. Toss it and go and move yeah. on. Nice. Well, like, you know where Game got changer. Me, it got me. It was. It got me back into reading. Yeah. Because if I did start to read a book now, it's like, all right, it is okay to put it aside, it's, totally. this isn't teaching me what I want to learn. I'm not interested in it, whatever. And it, it w- wasn't easy, but it did get me back yeah. into reading as now, okay, I can't, I don't like this book. I'm going to something I think I will like. Yeah, love that. That, that actually came from our grandmother, who was a, was a big reader, and she said to me one time, because I would do the same thing, got to finish it, got to yeah. finish And then you'd end up on going a year trying Plow to finish through. it. Uh, yeah. gra- our grandma said, I'm too old to read bad books. Yep. <laughs> so, and so she, that was the worst. Yeah, too old to, read, too, too old to read bad books. So a great you line. know what? Now if I... I don't spend much time on it. You know what I will do though? I study lyrics, like song lyrics. Oh, I'm a lyrics guy when it comes. Because man, to you can like you can read a whole book in a great song. Yeah. And uh, I listen to comedians. <laughs> do you? Comedians to me can get at truth better than books. Absolutely. So yeah, love, love the art of the comedian. Yeah. And Joe Rogan's kind of been the one that's kind of brought it, like showed showed that there's Sometimes an art to it. Yes. Yeah. yes. Yes. About For sure. you know just you know just like audience response and playing off the audience and you know delivery and just yeah, thinking the whole, the whole you think process. you can get joe on this what's that's <laughs> the final goal we you reti- didn't think we anybody re- even listened to it so <laughs> we retire when joe comes on yeah no. um i was gonna say you know hey have you listened to zach bryan you should check zach no bryan. do you I like haven't. country at all 
Bro, I'm a country music writer. Okay. Hey, but I, I, I should have known that. I'm year. sorry I didn't I didn't put that in your biography. Song. Next time on, I'll, I'll I won't sing it to you, but I have as a hobby. I've been writing country songs. Nice. Because so I, you moved. You finally get a farm. You finally, you know what? I'm just gonna write. I, see I've what been I here, do? I've been here for six months. I'm gonna write about the farm <laughs> life. Is that words. what you do? <laughs> I was on a I was on a plane one time listening to the Kenny Chesney song. Yeah. And then there was a conversation about how much a songwriter makes on one. <laughs> and I was like, suck. I've been writing all these books. I ain't made anything. Like, I can write. I need a paycheck. I mean, it's really got to be like. But like It's so hard to write. like three minutes long. I mean, how hard is yeah. that, right? But yeah, I worked yeah. on my first country song for a couple of years. And, uh, but now I'm, I'm popping them out. I got like 12. Mm-hmm. I don't think any of them are good yet. But we did. I had a buddy put one of them. 12 is the number. And I just played it for my wife. Like I didn't tell her I'd Yeah. She's like, That's a great song. So I'm just trying to this was like I had a dream one night that I was actually at the Grammys and I was accepting an award. <laughs> but I was next to Stapleton and some other uh-huh. cats. And they're like, Hey Hugh, just go ahead and you know, you know, so I step up and And he he opens up that's, his trombone. That's a, opens up his trombone. That may be case. the only bucket list left. I just want to make a crap ton of money on one stupid country song <laughs> and make it to the Grammys just for like a great night, yeah. good steak or something. That's all I got left. Yeah. Check out Zach Bryan. I'm, I'm totally right. obsessed with his music Zach right Bryan. now. Yeah. Okay. Um, what advice would you give a young person, you know, maybe just in life or as someone who wanted to kind of go into entrepreneurship? I, w- I would say try to try to literally link uh, look into the the spirituality of work. That's that's to me my thing now. Like learn how to work and enjoy work, even the most miserable work, and you will end up being a success. You'll I don't think you'll ever be a failure if you learn how to enjoy work. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be my number one. Probably number two. I would just say never look around. Like don't. What do you, what do you mean? By don't that? ever look at what somebody else has um, or how quick they got it or how easy it came or whatever that, that tied me in knots for quite a few years. So then you get, uh, you get judgy, you get kind of pissy, you, get, you even might slander somebody that you love. So I always go, man, just, uh, just do your own story, you know? And third, I'd say don't overlook suffering. Like, uh, Lean into suffering. Try to like be the best at suffering of anybody around, and you'll change more lives. I think I think people only listen to us um, or respect us based on our level of suffering. Mm-hmm. So just don't you know when you're in it, don't just complain. So I, I try to live a complain-free life. Not great at it. It's hard to do, isn't it? It is, but you know you find that when you are in a moment where you're just kind of bitching to yourself. Or to the universe, or even to God. I tend to go with God. That's my first play. I just start giving him an earful. Uh, I just always feel like the quick reminders, hey, just take a second, son, and just make a little mental list of what you're thankful for. And it, it pulls me out every time. It just takes a few moments. And I can name 6,000 things I cannot believe I have in my life. Right. So... You know, when Ryan's having a grand mal seizure every hour for eight years, there's moments where you're like, F this, you know. Um, but I go, yeah, lean into it. That's that's the, the hand that you're dealt. So play it as well as you can and 
I don't know. There's a country song. It sounds kind of <laughs> country songish, doesn't it? I'll stay on the advice. Um, you, obviously, you do a lot of things. What would be your advice on juggling life? Oh, baby, when yeah. The family work. I actually teach this. I, a lot, so. I say the key because I have I have nine streams of income in my life, nine buckets, and they don't all produce all the same. So I never know. So it's it is always a multitask. Where we're going to work this. You know, I just finished two books, so I'm working on marketing and getting two more books out this year. So that might be something, but. The only way I juggle all the different things is to to take ownership of my week. So every Sunday night, I've been doing this for 20 years, I say the world, nobody's going to tell me what to do with my time anymore. I'm not going to be pressured. So I'm going to own my own schedule. Um, so every Sunday night, I, uh, I pour a nice bourbon, some other adult beverage. What's your go-to bourbon right now? I like anything brown. Fair enough. <laughs> I was an brown? Irish whiskey guy for a long time, but then coming out here, I started to get the get the bourbon sweetness. I started to enjoy that, but I, I just really like almost everything. But I like a great tequila too. In the summertime, I go more tequila. But but anyway, I'll pour something hot chocolate, whatever it is, and uh, I I got my day timer. I have a paper day timer. It's called Planner Pad, and it gives you seven different categories of your lives and you can integrate it all. So I'd tell somebody, go find plannerpad.com and Google how to use that thing. But I'll, I'll take two hours every Sunday night and I, I plan through my entire week and I even try to make spaces. So I go, I want like, I like large blocks of doing nothing. (laughs) Right. And I hate meetings. So I try to do no more than two meetings a week, but I'm still planning what I'm going to do, where I'm going to be with the grandkids, uh, where I'm going to be with Cheryl, uh, I prioritize my body now and I'm 54. So I used to put me at the end of the train. I put me at the front of the train now. So I'll put all my workouts in. I put time with the family and then I start building out. And I, I generally say, give your time to leaders and lost folks, people that are struggling in life and those that can carry a lot of weight. I try not to give much time for non-leaders and non-strugglers. So if you got friends who are doing great, just want to keep hanging, I don't hang anymore. Mm-hmm. So I go, if you want to get somewhere where you're really hurting, I got time for you. That's amazing. But if you if you ain't wanting to go nowhere and you ain't hurting, don't bother me. Planning that time, and and you and I have talked about this a million times, and we're kind of reading that book, Own the Day, and things like that. But like just planning it out like that is so key, isn't yeah. it? Because if it's just like. Tell, I, I tell people to meal prep all the time. It's just like if you don't have it, what is that? Uh, fail to prepare, prepare to yep. fail or yep. whatever. But like if you if you don't have a written out plan for your time or your meals or anything like that, you're just going to end up just wandering around. And you, you know waste time, right? Waste time. And if, and, even if you prioritize, like just prioritizing your physical, like your physical health might be, I think, more important even to your spiritual. It's not more important than your spiritual. But if you don't feel good, you're not connecting. With the Almighty, at least I don't. I'm like, I'll call you on Wednesday when I, you know. So your physical self is, I think, maybe the most critical, especially as you get older. And if you don't take care of yourself, guess how much time you spend being sick, and maybe even time <laughs> you go to the hospital with COVID, you're blowing some time on that, you know. So I go, every hour you spend taking care of yourself, it's going to pay huge, going to give you years. 
I don't see how the people that don't take care of their health, it's just, I, I see why they're, they're like have a uh, depression yeah. and things like that. Just, you know what I'm saying? You don't get that endorphin kick every, every time. time. You yeah. don't have that, that feeling of accomplishment every day. I just, yeah. I don't know how I, I feel. And you know, I'm biased because I own a gym, but I preach it all the time. Get and take, you know, I don't care if you come here, go wherever and do yeah. it. You would feel the same, same way if you didn't own it. Yeah. It's yeah. well, it's always been a part of our yeah. life, but yeah. it, like if they didn't, like I just, it, it takes care of so much more. It does. You know what I'm yeah. saying? It's, I, I don't know. And the, <clears throat> we talked about this a little bit last week um, when you asked me about the New Year's and if I was doing anything. And I am too hard-headed to admit, you know, new me, you know, new, year, new me, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't like that. But the this has been a kind of a learning process. I, I, I love that planner that you do once a week. I, I, in the last year or so, I've learned that if I plan out my day, all right, these are the tasks I have to get done. Yep. So what I, I, I do it every night when I get in the bed is I go into my notes in my phone and I put, you know, if it's three things I got to get done or if it's 10 things. Yep. And, and 95% of the time, you not, and I end up knocking out that whole list. Yep. Now, some things maybe, you know, in, in, in my industry, something may come up and it pulls me away and I don't get to it, but I get right back to it, and I know yeah. that start. The second thing, it's it's notes, daily notes of what I got at tasks I got to get done, and this comes from the book um, "Own Your what Own the Day." Own the day um, is waking up with purpose, and I always thought I yeah, like to pee. <laughs> I, whatever, I, I fire out of bed, whatever yeah. it may be. Okay. But I always thought I woke up with purpose because my purpose was to get to work and yep. do my work. But he he defines it a little, little more and his, his waking up with purpose is this a little tougher probably for some people to do and myself included, but his was wake up with purpose in the first 20 minutes, water, sunlight, movement, huh. and workout. Yep. So I've kind of breaking it down and I try to get all, I try to get water is the first thing I've been putting a cup of water God. next to my bed. I hate water. <laughs> so hard for me. Me too. I, I'm probably the, the worst water drinker of all time. But in this last three weeks or so, I've totally stepped up my game. And it, you start it with water, and you yep. kind of gets in your head, and you and you and you do a better job of it in the day. Um, so in the first thirty minutes, I try to do those things yep. now. But it's it's purpose getting out of bed besides just going to work. Your you know your daily routine yep. routine that you have to do. It's it's something with purpose, and I wake up before my alarm clock now, and and like no snooze and like ready to go yep. because I know I got to get those three things. Yep. That's great. Yeah, love it. What's next for uh, for Hugh Halter? What's next post for Postcon? What's next in your life? You got? Do you have a plan? Post Commons is kind of on on struggling cruise control. Struggling. So. <laughs> Uh, we're good there. Pro- probably working the farm next couple of years. A lot of work on the farm. Yeah. Going to try and pop some Airbnbs in that Christmas tree farm. Uh, this year for me is launching these two books and this network to support leaders that are are taking more mm-hmm. impoverished areas. So uh, a little work on that. Um, trying to compete a little bit maybe at CrossFit. Mm-hmm. Trying to bump it up a notch. Nice. See if I can uh, maybe You're in that hit. master's division now. Yeah, yeah. Old guy. Yeah. Old Clydesdale yeah. division. <laughs> yeah, that's, I think that's about it. I, I would like to get my driver working in my golf game. Mm-hmm. I bought a nice set of golf clubs finally, custom set. That's my, my one. Like, I love I love golfing. But uh, and I love to travel, find my old buddies from around the country, and go meet them at different places, like a little man trip. 
Yeah. So those are my, my personal. I, in fact, I just found a cruise for my wife to go on. It's a ladies' cruise last night. It came up. So I told my wife, hey, babe, you should go on this. <laughs> I do that so that later yeah. on I can go, hey, babe. Yeah. I got to go to Ireland and play yeah. some golf. Remember, remember that cruise I, I let you go? Yeah. So <laughs> that's it. Time That's with the grandkids. I get it. Yeah. Ross, you got anything else for Mr. Halter? I don't. And I feel like I feel like I've just finished like a workout, bro. <laughs> yeah. You'd think your arms would look bigger though. If you, just, if you did though. <laughs> I fell on this elbow. I've had this like elbow boob for like oh six, wow yeah oh, it, it was way it, it was like c cup yeah for about six months she's gone down a lot but getting older hey brother we super appreciate having hey and and in your in your in your future plans put me in you and in you and i in for another lunch or Absolutely. dinner or something soon i yep. you know what i'm saying i would love to hang out again so my pleasure love all it. right brother okay this has been the eat slay live podcast and we're the locks executioners slay on brother slay on